Welcome to CEC Explains, your deep dive into fascinating subjects from the worlds of engineering and the environment, brought to you by civil and environmental consultants. And now from our CEC studios around the nation, this is CEC Explains. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. This is Andrew Horwath. I am a principal and the environmental practice lead in our Indianapolis office. And today I'm glad to get together and have a conversation with Chris McCoskey uh, out of our Pittsburgh office. Chris is a vice president and leads the CEC sustainability and ESG or environmental, social and governance initiatives at our company. Uh, welcome, Chris. So tell me a little bit about, about yourself and what you do here at CEC. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to be uh, with you this morning. Well, I've been uh, a practicing air quality consultant for over 35 years now. And at CEC, I provide leadership in air quality, permitting and compliance services. Uh, throughout my career, I've worked with a wide range of uh, industries throughout the U.S. And one of those areas has been evaluating atmospheric emissions from facilities as part of uh, new installations and compliance requirements. You know, atmospheric emissions are a key component of air quality permitting and compliance services. And while uh, the greenhouse gas aspect hasn't been historically a, a requirement, it was, um, it's been over 10 years now since US EPA has required businesses to report emissions if they exceed large quantities of greenhouse gases. So back in 2009, when uh, that became a, a rule, CEC jumped right on into it and was starting to help clients uh, with those emission calculations and have been uh, doing that ever since. So that's just one of the wide range of uh, air quality services that we provide. Um, and over the last few years, as ESG type topics have become more and more prevalent and, and uh, of interest to our clients, we've been uh, developing uh, services to, to help them in, in those areas as well. All right. Thanks, Chris. With your experience, especially in, in, in the past decade, uh, you know, we're going to be here today to discuss the impact that environmental consultants have on our clients' ESG strategies, particularly the, the E, the environmental uh, in ESG. So for the uninitiated, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, has proposed some certain rule changes that would require certain companies to include climate-related disclosures uh, during periodic reporting, during registration. And the intent of these changes is is to provide investors with consistent, comparable, and uh, decision-useful information. The SEC reports that investors have been kind of clamoring for this, investors representing tens of trillions of dollars, you know, trillion with a TR. Uh, they've been supporting uh, the disclosure of this information. So the SEC is finally responding kind of to the market a little bit uh, with these, these proposed rules that they've, they've come forth with. And as, as part of those rules, uh, the SEC has included climate disclosures requiring scope three emissions. Scope three emissions being, you know, greenhouse gas emissions through uh, a corporation's uh, supply chain, both upstream, downstream. And these, these are different than your typical scope one, scope two emissions. Uh, scope one emissions being greenhouse gas emissions from the direct operations of, of a corporation, you know, the, their day-to-day -day activities, what, what they do. And then the scope two emissions being, you know, the purchase of electricity, steam, heat, cooling, all that good stuff. Uh, but but today we're going to be focusing on on that scope three. Uh, scope three, it's it's hard to determine where those boundaries exist and, and how that's going to be defined. We're all kind of sorting through this right now. Uh, but but as it as it stands right now, there's about 15 categories uh, of scope three emissions. And today we're going to have revolve this conversation around 
probably how environmental consultants have an impact uh, and can help clients quantify, track their emissions. So, so that being said, Chris, and jumping right in, in the, in the recent proposed rule changes, uh, where do you see some of the greatest impact from a scope three emissions perspective that, that we can have as consultants? Yeah, well, you know, it's a very timely subject, Andrew, especially considering yesterday we had, if you watched the news last night, it was all about record heat waves in Great Britain, highest ever temperatures reached there. And the connection was made very clearly in the news between greenhouse gas emissions and climate change and these heat waves as a reflection of that issue. You know, the Paris Accord back in 2015 was a, a global attempt by leaders of nations around the world to get everybody on board with goals to achieve a minimum 1.5 degree C increase in global temperatures. We're at 1.1 degrees. Now, something doesn't really seem to be working very effectively. And maybe the SEC is recognizing that given that public corporations have embarked on the effort to disclose information voluntarily to their stakeholders using their websites and their corporate sustainability reports, that there's an opportunity and a need there to be involved with the content and how these corporations are assessing and evaluating the implications of climate change on their operations. Maybe there need to be some rules established for ensuring that everybody's on the same playing field here and that everybody's doing these things the same way. So I think that's really the gist of what's coming out of the SEC at this point, that they're trying to help establish a level playing field and consistent approach to guiding public corporations, you know, and we're not talking about private corporations here, talking about public corporations, but when they pull in the scope three emissions, there's a huge implication for how that'll trickle through the economy and affect other businesses as companies start to dig into what scope three emissions really are and how to quantify them. So I think that's probably the greatest impact. It's just this increased scrutiny and hopefully some consistency in methodologies so that everybody is assessing and evaluating these issues the same way. Okay. Yeah. And I'm curious what you think about about the timing of everything and, and how consultants can start to get ahead of the curve. Because I know right now I, some people are saying that the, the SEC's approach is, is a little bit aggressive. Uh, right now, the schedule for implementation is to, to start tracking for fiscal year 2023 for certain larger corporations with reporting in 2024. There's going to be a year-long grace period, I think, for smaller companies. And on top of that, the scope, those scope three emissions we're talking about, I believe there's an additional year of above and beyond that schedule, which I think will give kind of uh, some of these companies an idea of others' scope one and two emissions so they can incorporate them into their scope three emissions, right? So that's that's well and good, but it does. I know some people are making the comments that it's it's a bit aggressive, and also when it comes to to costs, uh, the SEC currently is proposing or has estimated, I should say that that for larger corporations, you know, the cost could be in excess of of six hundred thousand dollars. Could be upwards of six hundred forty thousand dollars. Smaller companies probably below the half million mark in the first year of compliance. Uh, that's to me that, that seems like a pretty staggering number. Um, with with about 30% of those costs being internal. So they're, they're estimating that a lot of these corporations are just not going to have um, the internal capabilities to handle the tracking, to handle the monitoring, the reporting, and just kind of, kind of bringing it all together. But 
I'm, I'm curious what, what you think. How, how do you think consultants can help their clients uh, you know, get ahead of the curve, start reducing that burden of cost, maybe turn that over $600,000 per year into something that's a little more palatable, right? And just, just get ahead of this thing before the reporting requirements kick in in, in 2024 or 2025. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll uh, focus in on, on scope three here in a second, but I, I just want to kind of put things in context because major corporations have invested a huge amount of money already in this, the whole ESG reporting process. And scope three emissions are just one small part of that, uh, that we're talking about here be, that because SEC is focusing attention on it. But I, I think the, the relative cost magnitude of the scope three emissions piece is probably small compared to the investment that corporations have voluntarily made in response to their stakeholders and other concerned and interested parties to embark on this ESG process. Again, it's a voluntary initiative aimed at helping constituents, shareholders, employees and other interested parties in the operations of an organization to see what they're doing from the E, S, and G perspective. We're talking about the triple bottom line as opposed to just the, the governance piece, the profit, the traditional bottom line evaluation of how a corporation or any organization functions. But we're talking about public corporations here because of the influence of um, their the, the information to their shareholders and decisions made about investments and so on. But the S and the G components are a huge part of it. And E is just one piece. There are hundreds of these metrics that um, companies are voluntarily evaluating, quantifying, gathering data and, and reporting on an annual basis now. So this is a, this is a major undertaking that's trickling through the economy. If you look at any of your, your, your favorite corporation uh, and go online and type in corporation and, and sustainability report, I, I, I can assure you, you'll find information about what they're recording and, and reporting. I think it's uh, upward, upwards of 90, 95% of S&P 500 companies are doing a sustainability report these days. So, so when we focus down on the E, and then within E, just the air quality piece, because remember, there are all kinds of environmental metrics that corporations are looking at. Water use, energy use, waste generation, uh, biohabitat impacts, all kinds of effects of an organization on the natural environment and, you know, people, emissions. So, and, and, and the the reason we're talking about the the greenhouse gas emission piece, of course, is the SEC focus again and bringing it back to that scope one, scope two and scope three emissions. Just again, real quick, the scope one emissions are those that a facility emits itself. Uh, the scope two emissions are those associated with the power that's purchased by a facility, say the electricity being generated by the utility some distance away. And then the scope three are all these other uh, associated activities upstream and downstream. And, um, you know, probably the most important thing for companies to do relative to scope three right now is to really understand that value chain. We've got these 15 bins that 
the current gold standard for doing greenhouse gas emission inventories for scope three, which is called the greenhouse gas protocol, has defined. And if you look on online and type in scope three emissions and look for an image, you'll see a picture that shows the scope one and the scope two, and then the 15 upstream and downstream categories. And so as corporations seek to conform with or to this new SEC, and again, this is a proposed rule, and no doubt it's going going to change, and who knows when it's going to become official. But if companies do sign on to to report their scope three emissions, that's the first place they have to start is to understand what the the value chain contributions to their greenhouse gas emissions are, and are they significant? And because it doesn't just because there are 15 categories in the protocol doesn't mean that they're all applicable to a facility. And even if one is applicable, it may be trivial or insignificant. And companies can certainly itemize them as being zero emissions from a, a, a particular category. Say, say they don't have any uh, transportation of a product by trucks downstream from their facility. Maybe everything goes um, in a pipeline. I don't know. So, but but there are all these categories that you need to ca- characterize to see if they are significant or not, and and that's really kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Because think about it: if if you're a, a company and you're purchasing something uh, as a raw material for to man- manufacture a product, what portion of the greenhouse gases associated with that raw material are your responsibility as the user and and how do you apportion that to your operations? It's a very complicated and, and challenging question. And the guidance does go through how to do that, but it, it's going to be a, a big lift for companies, I think, to um, evaluate that and understand that and come up with mechanisms that are, um, again, consistent and uh, meet the, the kind of general accounting standards that are being expected of organizations that are publishing uh, information that people are going to make investment decisions around. So it's it's interesting, right? It, the the best thing that that clients can do right now is start to look at their value chain, look at look at their supply chain, go, go upstream and downstream. But as you look upstream, uh, you may have distributors or suppliers or service providers that aren't required by the SEC, uh, just because they might not be a publicly traded company, might not be big enough, might not have reporting requirements. You're going to have those companies who aren't, aren't going to be as savvy and aren't going to have collected that data. And if you do, are, if you're able to find someone who, who's collecting that data, they also need to separate their data for you as, as someone who's downstream, right? So now they're no longer just tracking emissions cumulatively. They're actually tracking it per client, their client being being our client who's who's receiving those services or goods. So it seems like it seems like there's going to be a pretty tough road ahead, I think, uh, for the next couple of years. I wonder I wonder if you can give us some examples um, of, of things you've possibly seen in, in your experience of how uh, just just in general, if we take a quick step back from specifically scope three in general, how how do you see clients applying their ESG strategies now uh, just to help them cope with the, the SEC future rulings, the, the uncertainty that they're facing. 
Do you see any sort of sweeping trend or anything uh, for, for clients right now as they're trying to anticipate any sort of SEC moves? Well, one area that I've focused a lot of attention on recently is um, climate change risk evaluation, climate change risk assessments. And I think that's an area, it's actually one component of the SEC disclosure obligation. The three pieces are the greenhouse gas emissions themselves, whether scope one, two, and or three, the emission reduction targets that an organization has set, which in general parlance these days, you're hearing net zero, right? Everybody's major corporations are setting goals to achieve net zero. Um, So what does that mean and how are they uh, measuring and tracking that? And then the third is the assessment of climate-related risks to their operations. And um, I find that that's a a pretty fascinating area. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, in their assessment reports has focused a lot of attention on that area as well, because you're looking at the implications of climate change to the operation and functioning of an organization. And one of the areas of service that we've been asked to provide has to do with assessing potential climate risk to proposed facilities. So an example would be, I'll give you two contrasting examples. We were asked to develop a climate change risk evaluation for a proposed combined cycle uh, gas turbine facility. So it's, it's burning a fossil fuel, natural gas, generating electricity. And the climate change risk assessment process, which is driven by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, TCFD, is to look at, at two categories of uh, impacts, whether they are physical changes or what's called transition changes. Transition being, what are the societal implications of a transition to a low carbon economy? So I'll give you some examples of both. Physical, the physical impacts are easy, uh, extreme heat, like what we're experiencing globally um, right now. Drought, uh, extreme storm frequency increases, extreme uh, precipitation events and flooding, a sea level rise, all of those kinds of things are potential physical impacts that could affect the operation of a proposed facility. And investors, especially those who are part of an organization called the Equator Principles, it's an investment uh, consortium, and they've established a a procedure, kind of like the SEC procedure, but this is a a well-defined approach to assessing climate change risk. And so we've used that procedure to um, provide a white paper documentation for the project developer to use to explain to their their investment group, hey, here are the potential climate risks, physical climate risks to this operation. Could could the um, potential for drought in the region where this facility would be located affect the ability of the power plant to, to function because there could be reduced poten- uh, availability of, of water as a cooling mechanism for its operation. Water being a critical element needed to, uh, to, for the facility to operate, as an example. Um, on the other side, the transition uh, risks are fascinating too, because 
they look at what are societal implications associated with uh, this transition to a low carbon economy. And the, the most likely one is, okay, a cost on carbon. So if this combined cycle gas turbine facility, which would be emitting huge quantities of carbon dioxide, suddenly has to pay a fee for those emissions, how does that affect the performance objective of this, this facility? So those two examples of, of uh, climate change risk assessment for a uh, combined cycle gas turbine. In contrast, we're doing, uh, we've been asked to look at the climate change risk associated with a proposed wind, wind farm, uh, a, wind, a green energy project that will, would be generating hydrogen from the, from the, the green wind power. So in that case, we were looking at, well, what are the implications of a, uh, this particular site located, say, on the coast? What are the implications from, of extreme storm frequency increases that could affect the, the performance of these turbines because of inundation for, or sea level, you know, storm surge or something like that? Or if, if one of these uh, facilities was located out in the Midwest and was using groundwater as the supply for uh, the hydrogen electrolysis, well, what happens if there's, there's drought in the region? It, or is that a drought-prone uh, like a region? Is that likely to be a, a consequence of some, some time into the future? And we're talking 10 years out, 20 years out, 30 years out. So there's a lot of speculation and uncertainty, but that's the, that's the gist of, of this um, approach, is trying to gauge and provide the investment community with a sense as to how um, how climate change risks could affect their operation. And that's a, an integral part of the SEC proposed rule that companies need to be looking at. So that's interesting, right? When you, you touch on resiliency, uh, this, this goes even further than, than SEC. The SEC is doing it to help investors, but, but resiliency is, is truly part of that. It's, it's going to help determine whether or not uh, a company or even an industry can grow, right? And that's valuable information for investors. And, and regardless of how this scene kind of plays out, it seems to me that tracking and disclosing climate change information will be required uh, or at least advantageous, right, to a public company someday, whether it's this year, next year, five years, 10 years, uh, whatever, whatever the case may be. As, as you mentioned earlier with, with the, the warming trends we're seeing, I mean, this, this is real stuff. It's happening. And, and a lot of stakeholders, shareholders, customers, um, you know, we look at that supply chain all the way downstream. We haven't touched on that too much. But, you know, there's, there's customers that, that people need to consider as well in public perception. So all that goes into to investment uh, for, for a lot of these publicly traded companies. So, so Chris, let me ask, what, what are some recommendations you would have for some listeners today uh, re regarding the greenhouse gas emissions and when you look at tracking and, and monitoring reporting and all that? Well, if an organization hasn't started to look at what their carbon footprint is, I think that now is the time to take a hard look at that, even just from the scope one and, and two emissions perspectives, uh, because... That's, as we've seen here and as we've talked about, probably the most high profile aspect of the ESG from the E perspective slash, we'll just call it sustainability, uh, you know, um, a, a strategy for organizations. 
um, if they're if they don't if they're proposing or stating that they're evaluating and and operating from a sustainability perspective and they haven't looked at their carbon footprint, then that's probably the the main gap and the place to start. So, you know, from the perspective of understanding your your carbon footprint, that's really what CEC has developed a a sort of three-part strategy when it comes to uh, providing sustainability slash ESG services to our clients. And that assessment really is where it all starts and, and enables a, an organization to then start to uh, prioritize where they are and what their what their objectives should be. And I mentioned earlier the whole net zero, okay? If you don't have a baseline understanding of your greenhouse gas emissions, then you can't set any goals to uh, to reduce your emissions. You don't know where you're if you don't know where you're starting from. So uh, we have clients right now who are seeking our help to establish these baseline emissions and understand their scope one and scope two and and probably after that the scope three. Establish these baselines. Help them define where they are so that we can set goals if they choose to try to align their uh, reductions with the Paris Accord. Um, there's a whole category of strategies called Science-Based Target Initiative, SBTI, that is aimed at aligning an organization's emissions strategy with the Paris Accord 1.5 degrees C uh, approach. But again, the greenhouse gas emissions is just, are just one piece. Water is critical, uh, waste generation, Anything that's using energy is all related to, you know, uh, emissions too. Ultimately, anything that's using a, a fossil energy, uh, obviously. Uh, but so through that assessment of kind of where we are right now, then then you can start to say, okay, well, what are the vulnerabilities? What are the opportunities? And 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 what do we need to do to position ourselves for? say, being more resilient, as you mentioned, or adapting to climate change, whether that means to build a seawall to protect uh, a facility from a storm surge or, or from, a, from a river that's potentially could flood um, more frequently in the future and wipe out a, an industrial operation, which we've had to uh, an opportunity to, to support. So, and through that engineering phase, then organizations become more resilient uh, they understand what the risks are. They can adapt and 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 understand both the sensitivities and and weaknesses and vulnerabilities, as well as opportunities in the supply chain, both upstream and downstream, and and where they have where they can collaborate uh, with their uh, service or, uh, you know other value chain partners and uh, and build resilience. Then it finally gets into sort of the reporting uh, out to your constituents, and then. Uh, and that's the climate change, you know, uh, I mean, the uh, sustainability reports that co companies are, are, are preparing and um, and then reimagining or envisioning uh, further change or further opportunities to innovate and improve. So that's our kind of process. And I think that ESG process serves as a, a good roadmap to help organizations prioritize their risks and take meaningful action toward long-term sustainability uh, for their organizations, their communities, and essentially for the global environment. 
That's an interesting point you just brought up with with net zero uh, and and monitoring and measuring, right? Because if if you want to figure out where you're going, you need to know where you're at and where you've been, right? And I I know you've said it before. What's what's measured gets managed, and if if you need to worry about something being managed in the future or something something from a, an agency like uh, the SEC telling you you need to manage something, well, then it needs to be measured and you need to, to start looking at that. Chris, thank you for being on this episode of CEC Explains. For more information on sustainability, please visit cecinc.com and check out some of our, our articles and previous podcasts. Chris, it's been great talking to you and I think we can look forward to an update in the future. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Andrew, for organizing this and, and I will look forward to it. Thank you for listening to this episode of CEC Explains, brought to you by Civil and Environmental Consultants. Got a question about this episode or an idea for our next one? Reach out to us at cecinc.com slash podcast. Don't miss an episode of CEC Explains. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Because when CEC Explains, you're always invited to listen.